So would you open your Bibles with me to uh, Romans 15, Romans chapter 15. If you have one of the hardback copies in the Bible of we have there, it's page 791. Looking at Romans 15 together, we're going to begin with the 14th verse. And I myself am convinced, Paul writes, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness. Goodness. He said it's going to be full of goodness. Interesting word how he used that word goodness. Interesting word because it implies something more than just being a good person. It implies in this particular context that the goodness was that they were, had a natural concern for others. A natural concern for others. So within their Christian experience, it wasn't just that they were good people. It's that they were reaching out and helping others. That's what he was implying by being goodness. But the verse goes on, and it says to us that I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you, are, you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Wow, what a compliment we got there from Paul that he was giving them. Not only were their goodness and natural, but they were also caring and so forth, and they were going to be able to instruct others and full of knowledge. So as I read that, I said, ah, Ha! Time for a little quiz. Okay, so we're going to have a little quiz here. You didn't know that this morning. I'm a teacher, so you're going to have to have your little quiz. There'll be five questions. So you'll have to keep a record of how you answer those questions, all right? So I tried to pick questions that would give, a, give you a broad experience here. So five questions. I don't know if you want to write that down or if you want to make a note or you keep a mental note of how many you get right, okay, or wrong. So we'll, we'll look at that. Teacher checks the wrongs. Did you notice that? Okay, so here we go. Question number one. Would you look at that particular thing up there? Question number one, John 3, going uh, 16. And I saw this on a guy's shirt one time. I thought that was kind of interesting. He was happy, fellow there. So here's the question. Here's the question that you need to know. As you look at this particular passage, this particular sign, I should say, is this A, a fellow named John's tennis score? B, what time John is to leave on a trip? C, a text in the Bible? Or D, don't have a clue. I have no clue what John 3, colon 16 means. Would you, would you write that down? So you gotta, you got to make a choice there. All right? Okay, have you made your decision? All right. All right, next question, number two. The last book in the Bible is the book of Hezekiah. Yes or no? Back, uh, don't give it away. Don't have answers here, yeah? Yeah, say so. Is the last book in the Bible the book of Hezekiah? Number three, the Bible and the Quran are basically the same book, yes or no. So you need to keep track of that, you keep question on that. Uh, number four, number four, all religions are basically the same, true or false. You have to true or false. You have to make, put that question down, all right? And the last question is, can you read, the, uh, can you read about the story of Jesus in the Bible? Yes or no? Yes or no? Okay, so you have to get that. All right, so you add up your scores. You've been adding up your scores, how you did on that, on that test. So I'm going to give you the answers so you will be able to grade your paper and see how you do. No cheating. 
No cheating on this one. So if you uh, had put down this fella uh, there, you is a text in the Bible. You recognize John 3.16 as a text in the Bible. I actually was watching a football game, and it was, they were do, shooting the pictures around the screen. They were showing you the stadium and people filing in, and they were giving color commentary, getting ready for the football game. And that text was up there, John 3.16. And the color commentators were saying, well, I wonder why they have that up there. I couldn't figure out why John 3.16. Oh, that must be John the quarterback, his ratios or something that were going on. And I'm, and I'm sitting there just like you are, laughing, going, what? What? All right. The last book in the Bible is Hezekiah. No, Hezekiah isn't even a book in the Bible, is it? Yeah, for some of you know that. So it couldn't possibly. The last book in the Bible would be Revelation. Yeah, yeah, okay. The Bible and the Quran are the same, basically the same book. Well, it depends on how you look at it. They both have pages. They both talk about God. But after that, they are entirely different. One is followed by Jew, Jewish and uh, Christian tradition, the other by Islam. One had many authors, and the other one had one author. All religions are basically the same, true or false. False Christianity stands in stark contrast to all other religions because it is on, based not on works but on faith. Can you read the story of Jesus in the Bible? Can you read that? Yes, you should have that. Okay, so, so if you were watching your scores, well, how did you do? How did you do in that? Now you think, well, pastor, that was really silly. That was really a silly quiz. And it basically was a silly quiz. But if you passed, if you got 100%, in fact, but even if you got three out of the five, you know far more than many, many people in our community. Far more. So when Paul wrote and said, you are filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. You're filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Because you know that the book of Hezekiah is not found in the Bible. Or because you know that Revelation is the last book. Or because you know the story of Jesus is found in the Bible. And you probably, if you were given time, you probably could find the story of Jesus in the Gospels. Could you not? And know where that is. Because you see, you know so much. You know so much. You have such a, and that spread of knowledge of what you have is incredible. So when Paul wrote, you are competent, you have so much knowledge, you are competent to instruct. It did speak to me and say, well, you know, you sat in a lot of classes, done a lot of stuff. Studied the Bible a lot, so you're competent, but so is anyone else who has it. So I had this lady who um, I've talked to you about before. She was probably in her late 30s, early 40s, she was a registered nurse, she lived in Portland, and one time she was telling me I had met her in a non-religious um, setting, and we became acquainted with each other, and she said, to, she said to me, you know, you're a pastor, and I said, yeah, she said, what is this about Jesus? I, other than a swear word, what is, what is this about him? She knew nothing, nothing, zero about it. 
If you were to say, Daniel, have no clue. Samson, no clue. Paul, no clue. Jesus on the cross, no clue. What any of that meant. And yet she was an educated woman, living in our culture, living in our society. Knew absolutely nothing. Do you think you might have something to share with someone who has a knowledge of absolutely nothing? Absolutely nothing. Okay, so back to Romans 15, if you would come back to that. We're going to pick up verse 15. So, yet, he said, Paul said, I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace of God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an acceptable offering to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. It is interesting the language in which he uses, in which he uses the comment, priestly duty. Bible, priestly duty. Now that stirs up. He could have said it's just my duty. But he used the concept of priestly duty, a very unique thing form. You are to be uh, kings and priests when we go to heaven. We are to be ministers, of a priest ministers to his family. There is the preacher who proclaims the truth, but a priest, a priest is someone who ministers to others, who helps them with their needs, who takes care of them, who cares about them, like a pastor. A pastor is to have a priestly duty, as it were. We often refer to that, well, he has a pastor's heart. I know what a pastor's heart is like. You know, when you're assigned to a church and you meet your congregation, the attachment to the congregation, for me, I become very defensive if anybody says anything about my church. Oh, no, 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 I got great people there. Well, you got a church. I remember I argued with, uh, with my conference treasurer one time that my, the church I was pastoring, well, it was the best church in the conference. He says, well, I don't know about that. I said, yes, it is. This is the best church in the conference right here, in case you didn't know. Because I'm biased, of course, but I love my congregation and I love my people. Even when my people say things against me or don't like some of the things, it's okay. I just kind of, well, you know, they had a bad day or something or they misunderstood or whatever. And I just, because why? Because I care about them and I want the best for them. Pastor's heart. It's a priestly duty, a priestly role to have. And Paul is using in this context, and he's using that to say to them, to have them had a mission. It is a mission. To them, a mission was given. The mission of what they were to do. What Paul was to do was he was to take the message to the Gentiles. And so this church in Rome, in which he is writing to, were full of Gentiles. And he was ministering to them. And he already told them, you have lots of knowledge. You have lots of things. You have ability to instruct. And therefore, we have what he looked in that, and that whole context is you have a sacrificial duty. A sacrificial duty. Sacrificing. It's a, um, 
It's something that, that causes us to sacrifice something. A lot of things I'd rather do in my life, go around doing it, be fun, fun. My sacrificial duty is to set those aside. I have a duty before God. I have a mission before God. We would ask a calling. We have a calling before God. And I need to be in his service, sacrificially. And I'm going to suggest to you that our, our duty should be modeled after that, after his sacrificial come do that you said will you present yourself as a living sacrifice a living sacrifice it's kind of hard that that language that is in there that is that part of that brings up that whole theme of of giving yourself as a sacrifice he says about the about the um, Gentiles that they are presented he worked them so they could present themselves as a living sacrifice to God Giving, holy and going, which includes giving, sacrificial giving. I want to pause there for a moment, and I don't know if you are aware or concerned, you know, about how our church functions financially. But we are in need of bringing ourselves back up, and we're in the red, about $23,000. And we need to get back up in the life. Here's what happens when we don't support church budget. When we don't get in there and support the mission. It affects the mission of the church. Therefore, because of that, the budget, the financials, have to be cut back. And so things that we did before are going to have to be cut. Now, there's some things we can't cut, like the insurance. The insurance bill, which is huge. The insurance bill, we have to have insurance, and we can't cut that. It would be nice. I'd like to say to them, yes, could you please cut that in half? We would like to. Can't do that. we got to have the coverage. I can't get the light bill cut unless I turn off the lights all the time. There's just things that go on. So where do we cut? Well, we cut where? And one of them is our school. And tragically, we're going to have to look at cutting Money that goes to school, and the school cannot afford that because our children need to be funded. So I would like to ask you in your giving, could you please look and see what you're giving? I don't look at anyone's giving pattern. I don't ask the treasurer, never have, never will, ask the treasurer to look and say, what is so-and-so giving? Are they giving... Now, that in the church, that is correct. I could do that, but I don't do that. The reason I don't is because when I talk about things like this, I don't know what you're doing, so you don't have to squirm in your seat. that Oh, the pastor knows that I'm not doing No, I don't know. That's between you and God, I believe. So you, you need to look and see. Are you helping? Are you doing that? Tithe and then your offerings. You're helping with your church budget supports so many things. So... I would like for you to look. And then I would like for you, as you think about this, to do it systematically. If you do it systematically, then you do that and it'll help all the time. So 
I had a man one time who, we were, I was poor, and I had a man up in church, oh, I'm going to give $100 for this. Well, I was just starting out in the ministry, and I, I said, oh, poor, poor, poor. And um, he gave $100. Yeah, I got $100. I couldn't give $100. Well, I found out from the pastor later, and he says, look at that man up there. He, that's the only $100 he gives all year. He holds it up, I give him $100. Well, I was on a systematic thing where I was putting in, at that time, as many years ago, $20 a, a, a month from my paycheck. I was giving $20 in there. And then my wife was giving her 20 and so it was $40. We, by the end of the year, far outgave that man. Far outgave that man. So, systematically looking at it. But I would like to encourage you, before the end of the year, you look. See if you can help. See if you can behave. A living sacrifice. I am. I am doing it. Let's all do it. Let's all pitch in. All right. Back to Romans 17. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus, in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except that Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. Look at that. For he is accomplished through the leading. I will venture to speak of nothing. I won't talk about all the other stuff, except Christ has accomplished through me to them. By the power and signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way up into Lithicalium, if you look up there, that's in, near Macedonia, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been, always been, my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not been known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Would you notice that? I have always been of my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I'm not building on someone else's work, someone else's foundation. We here at Naples are not in competition with any other church. Okay? We're not in competition. I pray for the success of our churches around here. I pray for them that they will be successful. We're not competing. We have the same goal. We have the exact same goal. No matter how it's expressed, how they're doing it, same goal. So we're not competing with them. We want to build them up, support them. So, so what is it? Paul answers that, verse 21 Rather, said is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. Those who have not seen will, um, those who have not been told will, I will start this again, sorry. Those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. And we can ask, well, why? Why is that? Why has he been 
hindered from coming to them. And the reason that he could not come to them was because of the urgent need for others to hear the gospel. It wasn't that he was particularly afraid because he went places where there was very dangerous. He even got stoned. He even got driven out of town. He had all kinds of threats and put in prison. So it wasn't that. It was because of the great need of others. It was his lifelong mission. It was a lifelong mission. Some have said that the world in which we are in now, the society in which we are in now, is much like it was in Paul's day. That there's a lot of secularism. There's a lot of non-Christian background. There are more and more people who are growing up who know nothing, nothing, as I mentioned before, who know nothing. And so our mission, our outreach to this church is to try to reach those who know nothing. And they could be right across the street. They could be right down. Yes, we may run across those that from time to time who uh, have had some experience, some background, some, who need to come back to Christ, who need to have that experience. Yes, we want that. But their mission, Paul's mission, was to reach out to those. And he went to the cities. He went out into the cities to reach those who don't know. And the those who don't know are in our culture are getting larger and larger and larger because they're not getting any religious training in their homes whatsoever. So then I ask, how shall we live? How shall we live as a church family? How shall we live in our world today? How shall we exist in our church here? Well, we want to be concerned about those around us. We want to go. I would pick up the theme that he had, and he said, to those who are not told about him, we'll see, and those who have not heard will understand. Looking for those who have not heard, those who have not been told. Trying to find those and looking for those. And it's surprising where they are. Because you think, oh, there are people all over in the mission field or somewhere. No, they're right in our community. Right here, who know nothing. And you, Paul says, are full of knowledge. Full of knowledge. And you are competent to instruct. Didn't know that, did you? <laughs> but you know everything. <laughs> you do. So I don't know everything. You know everything that they don't know. Well, I had a pastor friend. He was my associate. And um, he had a gentleman come up and platform for the children's story. And it had a nice big chocolate cake. It was a beautiful cake. And so he had the man sit down in a chair and he said, um, would you like some chocolate cake? I wanted some chocolate cake. It looked really good. And uh, he had a plate there and a deal. So he picked up the chocolate cake and he shoved it into the man's face. I don't like chocolate cake that way. That's, that would not be my preference for having chocolate cake. And my associate's pastor, who had arranged this with this man ahead, of course, had said, said, 
When we feed someone the chocolate cake, we don't give them the whole thing at one time. You know what I mean? We are gentle. And respond. See what happened. See how it goes. So this woman, who came to me and said, I know nothing, other than Jesus as a swear word, and she'd seen Jesus up on a cross, so that's, but that was the extent of her religious education. She said, can you help me understand about Jesus? So where do I start? Well, since I didn't see her regularly, I said, okay, I, I will help you out. So I gave her my copy of the Jesus of Nazareth video, which told the story from the birth through the resurrection of Jesus. So she would go home and she would watch a little bit of it, and then she would call me or text me, and she would say, Pastor, what in the world? Why is, why is he being put underneath the water like that? What in the world is that? This man's putting him underneath the water. Oh, well, let me tell you. And then a little later, she would, she would say, hey, did that, that man, did he really get his sight back? And then, did he really raise Lazarus from the dead? Is that, you can't raise a person from the dead. Did he really raise Lazarus from the dead? And I'll never forget the time she called. And said she had visited, she had seen the part about the cross. And when she called and saw about the cross, and she said, what in the world? Why did they kill that innocent man upon the cross? Golden opportunity to share why Jesus went to the cross. Some of us have been reading a book by William Johnson, who was the editor of the Review, now retired. He has one chapter in his book that I, that I particularly found important. And it said, we need to keep the main thing the main thing. We can get distracted on all kinds of different stuff, different things. But keeping the main thing the main thing. And what is the main thing? The main thing is Christ and him crucified. That is the main thing. That's what the world needs to hear and to be hungered about. Paul went on and said in 1 Corinthians 15, For what I have passed on to you as of first importance, this is it, of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and then he appeared unto Cephas, or unto Peter, and then to the twelve. That is of the most important thing we could possibly offer. So when she discovered that. And said. Why did Jesus die on the cross like that? It became an opportunity to talk about sin. And Christ paying for our sins. Dying upon the cross to ransom for many. I just said, oh my word, I had no idea that that was what the story is about.
Sure, she had seen the decorations, she'd seen the manger, she'd seen all that. But just traveling by was kind of a pretty thing, had no concept. And so Paul would say to us, why are you competent people? Those of you who are full of knowledge, full of instruction, then is your opportunity to do the first thing. So how do you do that? Well, the first thing I encourage people to do is pray. Ask God, Lord, I think I don't know much, but maybe I do know more than some others. Maybe I do have an understanding of this. So, Lord, would you send me someone who needs to hear? Would you open your door for that? Now, it's a very tough prayer to pray, and it's a prayer that God is waiting for you to pray, and as a result, he will send you someone. That's, that's the thing. So you have to kind of be aware. So you pray that God will send you someone. And then you have to be gentle in how you, how you talk with them. You don't want to give them the whole cake at one time, do you? So you want to say, would you like some cake? Would you like a little bit, a bite or two? And so I give them just a little bit. Because I don't want to overwhelm them. I want to see if they want to go farther. This is of first importance. So when they come, I like to say and answer them, when they say, um, depending on how the conversation goes, usually they will open up something. I'm having trouble. I'm like, oh, well, you're having trouble. What's going on? So forth. And I say, and I'll say, well, are you, are you a person of prayer? No, I don't pray much. Hmm. I pray. Would it be okay if I prayed about you to God? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I believe in that sort of thing. I. And then you go, well, tell me about, tell me about how come, how come where's, your, where's your experience in that? And then they'll open up about it. And then I'll find avenues to go asking questions, being gentle, open yourself up, and not giving the whole cake at the full time. So the thing is, Jesus, that's our mission, is sharing Jesus with others past him. So... Our, our church, and I was pastoring the church in Boring, Oregon. I don't know if you've ever heard of Boring, Oregon. B-O-R-I-N-G. You can't call it the Boring Seventh-day Adventist Church. That doesn't, that doesn't work. Can't have it. A, although they were considering Pastor Dallas, Dallas Dull, D-U-L-L, -L, for, their, for their church at one time. Never happened. So they had to name the church Hoodview, because if you stood in the parking lot, you could see Mount Hood. So they said Hoodview. That sounds better. In Boring, Oregon. So do that, and we were having a wonderful health program. We had a lot of hospital people. We had a lot of physicians in the church. We, uh, a lot of administrators from Portland Adventist Medical Center were there in that church. And um, so they had budgeted... Uh, into their church budget and a ministry of health. And so they would have a health fan. They had the hospital health fan come over and do all kinds of tests and blood work. And people would go down to the fire station. And then the church would follow up with programs for the people's health needs. Like we had weight loss program. We had cholesterol program. We had all kinds of different programs. Well, they've been doing this for quite a while. And, 
and I was enjoying them, thought it was great, and, and the treasurer went asked one time, has anyone ever come to our church or has ever become an Adventist from our health ministry? Well, well, no. And a light went on in my head. Health ministry was great, but it wasn't the first thing. The first thing was Jesus. Yes, health ministry can be a wonderful opening wedge. It could be a wonderful way. Nothing wrong with that. But we never took the second step. Never did the thing where opening the door. So I said, I'm going to make that different. So we had a school right next door to the church. A 10 grade school, kindergarten. And I went over to see the principal. And he was a really a bright young man. And I said, uh, Gail, um, we have, uh, do you have people who come to this school who put their children in Christian education who are not believers, who are not Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, well, how about let's have start the school year. Let's have a class, a couple classes about what Adventist education is about so they have an understanding. So when they throw a birthday party for their child on Saturday afternoon and no one shows up, they will have some, some deal on why, why we don't have dance here at, and teach dance at the, at the school. And so, okay, so um, we did that. And so then I said, you know, a lot of your children are going to be, and I was teaching this class, we had the people come in, the teachers come in, talk about their programs. And I said, well, what about, um, I said, some of your children are going to go to the churches, because they're in the choirs and things, and the bell choir, let's go over to the church and let's see where they're going. So you're comfortable. So we load them up on the bus, drive them one quarter of a block, get out, and go into the church together. And I, so we go into the church, and we said, just like you are today, and I'm sitting in there, and, I, and I, we're talking about them. This is where your children are going to sing. You're always welcome to come. We welcome anybody to come, uh, feel comfortable in coming, et cetera, et cetera. And then I said, do you notice anything different from in here that churches may, that you may have seen before? Well, that one, they said, well, yeah, I don't, I don't see the cross and Christ on the cross anywhere. Oh, well, let me share with you why that isn't. Well, and we meet on Saturday. Don't you think that's rather odd that we meet on Saturday? Huh? Yeah, why do you meet on Saturday? Everybody else goes on Sunday. So we'd talk a little bit about that. Pretty soon, some of those families are coming into the church. And I baptize some of those folks. You see... You're competent to instruct. Competent to instruct. Dear Lord, I thank you for this message of Paul. It's powerful. But we must open our eyes to those who are around us. Lord, help us in that regard to, to find those, to people you are sent to our door, right in our path. We lay them at your feet and ask, Lord, can... What can we do? If you say we have, we're competent to instruct because of what we know already, maybe seek to know more, but Lord, we know so much more. Know you, the very first thing, the thing of most importance. 
bless us in that outreach. In Jesus' name, amen. Please join us in singing together.